Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Our co-host, Charlie, is not here this morning, but that's okay because I'm sitting here with David McGarry, who is a contributor to Young Voices. We're going to be talking a little bit about Twitter this morning, about Monopoly this morning, and uh, we'll see if we get into the FDA as well. David, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing just fine, doing just fine. So we were just talking about some of the news from last night. I believe Elon Musk put up a poll asking if he should have someone else be the CEO of Twitter. 57% said yes, and he said that he was going to uh, abide by the results of the poll. Are you surprised by this? Well, I'm not. I'm, I, haven't, I haven't fully decided uh, uh, whether this is this is something that he set up or not just to give himself an out to to take a step back from the day-to-day of uh, running Twitter, because it turns out running a large social media platform is actually very difficult. Um, and I'm sure that he has other projects that he's that he's thinking about. Yeah, like maybe having the, like the most valuable car company in the world. I think that that might be one of the big ones. That was probably already a really busy job. I would say Jack Dorsey probably spent a lot of his time uh, just running Twitter and not a whole bunch of other businesses. So I do I do think he had this set up already. It seems like every poll he's done was just to create the impression that he was going to listen to the people. For instance, should I reinstate Donald Trump's account? That was a poll he put up. He'd already said that he was going to reinstate Donald Trump's account before that. Um, he's done, you know, should I sell shares of Tesla to do whatever? That was from uh, several months ago. He already needed to sell the shares of Tesla. In my In my experience following him, he's got this decided already. Uh, and so are you worried about the future for uh, free speech or whatever we call it? If, uh, if we don't have him at least being the CEO? Well, here's what I'll say. Um, I've actually been somewhat discouraged by his behavior since he took over Twitter. I'm hundred percent on board with um, the mission statement that he initially outlined, which is, well, let's create a, um, a, a place online that that adheres to free speech principles um i don't think he fully understands the ins and outs of how that actually works but i like the broad strokes of let's create a neutral 
a platform on which we can all exchange ideas and we can all have a nice conversation and a fun conversation and hopefully uh share some dog videos without um without you know killing each other over all these stupid fights but what i'll what i'll say is that i mean since he's since he's taken over i think he's he's showed exactly how hard content moderation is um and i will say just as a side note i am i just i'm so tired of of him pretending to to put up you know supposedly important decisions to twitter polls he keeps saying vox populi vox day um which roughly translates to the voice of the people as the voice of god and i am with george will on this uh and will once wrote vox populi vox day for the sake of his reputation let's hope not (laughs) i um i do not like the twitter poll thing at all because uh well the the wisdom of the crowd is not always that great that it's more of a madness of the crowd i i I don't think that the crowd should be left to those types of uh, decisions whatsoever. He also, like I stated earlier, I think he already knows what they're going to say. So he puts up the decisions that he wants them to vote a certain way on and probably leaves the other ones to to himself. It's pure majoritarian democracy on something as important as whether or not you yourself are going to remain CEO of a company that you just paid $44 billion for. I don't think that's a really great idea. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, like I said before, uh, running a social media platform is very difficult um, and maybe an unpopular um, opinion for the, the, the free speech crowd at this point that I actually do hold is that I have less of a problem with the degree of moderation that the old, uh, the old executives at Twitter did. I just think that they were highly skewed in the way that they, in the, in the way that they executed it. Um, I'm very sympathetic for all sorts of uh, financial reasons that relate to advertisers and also just um, just social reasons to to attract users. I understand why the the the, the runners at any given company would would want to keep a more or less um, friendly place. Um, obviously, I mean, I don't think I have to persuade you of this, but uh, private companies don't have to uh, don't have to adhere to the First Amendment. The First Amendment limits government. Um, but I, but I understand, I understand why private companies would want to shape the space in which their users operate, operate to make that a, uh, to make that a, a pleasant place that, that, like I said, will actually attract more users and, um, boost company revenues. Um, but like I said, obviously the old, the old guard at Twitter were either completely unaware or uninterested in combating their their own biases and that's i think really where the problems began yeah totally agree i'm fine with whatever moderation they want to do as long as they're doing it evenly and i say as long as uh, they can do whatever they want they're a private company we've been saying that for a long time uh Charlie and I, the co-host of this show, we were talking the other day about some hypocritical things Musk uh, has been doing. But we said, you know what? We've been saying it was a private company. They could censor whatever they wanted for a long time now. So at least we've been consistent this whole time. Let's get on to the idea of the, this monopoly idea, which we which we hear a lot. I don't see how anyone could call Twitter a monopoly, except for the fact that they have a monopoly over things that are called Twitter, where you tweet things. And other than that, are they a monopoly? No, no, def- definitely not. Um, in, in fact, in terms of uh, number of number of active users, they rank behind such titans as LinkedIn, um, <laughs> according to according to Pew Data. Uh, so no, I mean they they have they they Twitter specializes in appealing to a subset of uh, politically engaged, oftentimes very elite folks in the media politicians and because of that it punches well above its weight in in terms of our our cultural conversations but in terms of absolute numbers 
it's actually, like I said, it's, it's on the smaller side. Um, and anyone calling it a monopoly is either being uh, a show, shall we say, intense, intentionally loose with their language to make a point or just has no idea about Twitter's actual uh, user base size. Why is it you think that they have such a lower amount of active users, but we do really consider it to be a, a barometer of where the country is in a given moment? I'm the same way. I spend uh, most of my downtime on Twitter, I feel like, and and I will uh, become upset about things that I see trending or not trending on Twitter. And then I have to back out and realize what you're saying, which is that this is not America. This is not what most of America, uh, most of Americans think. But how is it that it seems like if you can get enough people upset about something on Twitter, you can actually affect change in the country? Well, I, I think, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, and I, I would sort of break this down into two parts. Um, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll try to outline this as clearly as I can. Um, in a recent piece that I actually wrote about the the about claims of Twitter being a monopoly, I compare Twitter's status to that of a country club in that you have a bunch of elites who get together and they all fight with each other, they all talk to each other, and then they go home convinced that they're actually um, aware of opinions and, and feelings and thoughts that are representative of the larger country, even though they are only um, they've only been interacting in this bubble with mostly other elites. Um, another, another quick thing that I think is interesting and important to note is that only about a quarter of, of Americans are on Twitter and only about a quarter of Twitter users are, are, are generating upwards of 95 of the content. So really we're talking about a quarter of a quarter of Americans here. Um, and, and I, and again, I, I think that this, this bubbling effect really, really skews things. And then to get to the second half of your question, um, after we've all convinced ourselves that um, after we've all convinced ourselves that Twitter is this, this barometer of American political discourse, it becomes very easy to convince ourselves that the, the, the Twitter mob that has 200 people um, is actually some meaningful movement or has something, um, has something meaningful to say. And that just oftentimes, most of the time isn't true. Now, why are we so quick? Why are politicians, you think, so quick to call things a monopoly? You do a good job in that piece also, which was uh, published by National Review. You talked about uh, Yahoo, which is pretty pretty funny. Uh, the year that Fortune was talking about them is the same year that Google started. That's a nice thing to point out there. AOL, of course, MySpace, um, a really good piece I'm going to link to for everyone to go read. It reads like uh, you know something, a few paragraphs there that uh, Thomas Sowell would have talked about in Basic Economics. So I really, uh, really enjoyed it. Um, why are they so quick to call something a monopoly? Well, monopoly is, um, it's a trigger word that, that, steals an intellectual base for you um or for the person who's using it i should say um usually when when people say monopoly they don't they don't mean monopoly they mean uh either just a company that has more power than i wish it did or i should say more market share um or sometimes they mean duopoly um but it's 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 very funny to hear people complain about how oh twitter has a monopoly and in the same, or maybe in the next paragraph, um, they'll start talking about Facebook or, 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 uh, or TikTok or Instagram. Um, 
when the very existence of those competitors really proves that Twitter does not indeed have a monopoly on, um, uh, shall we say, uh, I mean, they, they, they just, Twitter doesn't have, have a monopoly on the market of social media, however we define that, whether we define that broadly or narrowly. It's just not true. Um, and this is one reason why I was very disappointed to see that uh, Judge Oldham uh, writing for the Fifth Circuit um, on the Texas social media case, he, he used the, the monopoly line for Twitter. And I think that that really hurt the credibility of the arguments that he made, which I mean, I disagreed with anyway. Um, but I thought that using that right up front as a, um, as a legitimizer of the rest of his, uh, of the rest of his arguments and his, his legal opinion, uh, I just, I just thought it was, I thought it was unfortunate uh, to say the least. Yeah, I've seen this move towards, uh, you know, sure, they don't have a monopoly in social media in general, but I've seen some judges decide that they were going to fractionate this all the way down to how I sarcastically asked the question to begin with or stated that Twitter has a monopoly over Twitter and tweeting things and posting on Twitter. And we've actually seen judges rule in ways uh, like this, the Tenth Circuit court uh i believe is what ruled in this you know are you familiar with the case in colorado with the wedding websites you know the supreme court's hearing right now um yeah 303 yeah 303 and uh i don't know if you've looked into that but it did go through the 10th circuit and uh and they ruled that her speech was being uh controlled they were but because she essentially had a monopoly over 303 creatives web website design uh, that no one else could make the product that she was making, that they that they were able to control that based on the fact that this was essentially a monopoly case. And that's how it came to the Supreme Court in the first place. And so that's what I see people doing also with Twitter, uh, that Twitter is also, sure, it's a monopoly over Twitter. Of course it is. You're not going to get Twitter exactly from anyone else. No, I mean, that's. I think that's the perfect point. When you, when you redefine... Um, the the lines of competition or when you redefine um the 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 mainstream perceptions of any given market um you it's a it's a lot easier to make your case if you if you can sort of tweak the facts to to fit your narrative it it reminds me of the uh the ftc the federal trade commission's case um against meta right now um and they're they're suing meta to stop the company from acquiring a uh, metaverse fitness app. And one of the FTC's arguments is, oh, you don't understand meta. You, you are harming competition because if you were not able to buy this fitness app, you would have developed your own, which sort of after you untwist the pretzel of that logic is it's, it's a really, it's a really, um, in my opinion, it's a really kind of scary warping of, of the way that we, we view competition and fair competition in this country a lot of times it doesn't have uh, so much to do with the uh, protecting competition in general it's specific competitors and it always bothers me because this person who built the fitness app they're probably really happy to sell that to meta that's like a dream goal right there you build something and meta comes in and buys it and you're trying to tell me that i, I spent my life making this thing and and one of the biggest companies in the world wants to buy it from me and I'm not allowed to sell it to them. That's a crazy idea in the in the first place. It gets really dangerous when you talk about all the antitrust. Like I said, we can fractionate this all the way down and they can essentially control everything that companies do. 
And then we, we go through things like these Twitter files and we see that the FBI, DHS, whoever is, is uh, talking back and forth with Twitter. And what you can say is, well, there's no, there's no threat behind that. They're just giving advice, right? They're just telling them what the, you know, they notice this thing and they notice this thing. And we totally forget about all of the congressional hearings where the heads of the social media companies were pulled up and had to listen to AOC talk to them for a really long time. And that's a threat if I've ever heard of one. And, um, and then we have these threats of, uh, of antitrust and breaking up the companies. And sure, there's no direct threat. You remove this or we're going to uh, punish you. Uh, but there's always a looming threat of control over the companies, right? I, th- I think that's the perfect point um, because in in any uh, in any climate in which all the players know that government is a hair trigger away a hair trigger away from uh, taking action, or maybe a congressional a strong congressional majority in one direction or the other away from uh, from from taking action, there is an implicit threat behind all of these. Um, behind all of these uh, informal contacts between government and industry. Um, and actually my biggest takeaway from the Twitter files is that we need to, um, we need to make it very clear that government will stay far away from regulating the private operations of social media companies. Um, because at the end of the day, exactly like you said, there is an implicit threat of government intervention behind every single FBI email. Um, no matter how, uh, no matter how, uh, I guess, casual and, and friendly any one of those emails might seem, there is the threat of government action behind it. Um, and we do not know how Twitter would have responded. Um, uh, had, I mean, we do not know how Twitter would have responded if they felt confident that they were not in some kind of jeopardy uh, from the federal government. Um, and again, I don't have too much brief for the previous uh, the the previous showrunners at Twitter. I don't I don't think that they did a good job of combating their biases, and I think that they took a lot of harmful actions. But at the same time, um, I'm far more concerned about government intervention and in speech, um, whether or not it looks like a lawsuit or some kind of implicit threat. Yeah, and so let's pivot this a little bit into uh, tell me about what's going on with with Jewel at the moment. We've talked about this a few times. I, I clearly think uh, what they've been put through is is ridiculous. But uh, I know you wrote an article, I believe it was in the uh, Spectator, uh, a uh, a few weeks ago. But I wanted to wanted you to catch people up on what's going on with this Jewel versus the FDA thing right now. Yeah, that's a that's a great transition because it actually ties back to this um, this idea of informal government uh, government action outside of outside of the official channels. So uh, Jewel this fall was actually able to secure some funding to keep its um to keep it afloat as it's navigating uh its appeal over the fda's ban which i i mean to my to my mind was very very problematic and i would be very surprised to see that the uh that it has merit so jewel is challenging that jewel also just negotiated a pretty large settlement um for for some of the the lawsuits with uh with private claimants um but to my mind, the, the really disturbing part of this is that really by throwing out what appears to be unsubstantiated allegations, the FDA almost put Juul out of business. Um, and we know that the FDA has had it out, had it out for vaping for years and years and years. They, I mean, they, 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 almost, they, almost, they almost took out their public enemy number one, um, 
without ever having to go through the appeals process to allow Juul the, the chance to exonerate itself. Well, that's the thing. You don't even have to go all the way through court and win your court cases. You can be, you can come out. It's a, a really big negotiating piece to be the person who can threaten to do all of these things. And you can actually get the companies to take actions based on a perceived threat of things that you could do to harm them later on. I find this whole thing to be so uh, so ridiculous when you uh i mean you consider plenty of cigarettes still out there at the gas stations and stuff and i see them going after these uh e-cigarette companies and i realize we always you know we talk uh, we talk a lot on the show about it like vaping is probably better than smoking vaping is probably worse than just air you know but it's a lot better than than smoking i would say and i feel like the fda uh, kind of losing the plot here i think that's that's true and they're you know, there's a there's a huge conversation to be had here about tobacco harm reduction, right? And there's a lot of good folks doing a lot of in-depth work about that, basically um, advocating uh, switching the, the conversation from outright prohibition of tobacco products to harm mitigation, right? How do we make um, how do, how do we help the people who are in this situation um, create better health outcomes, better health outcomes for themselves? For example, switching from traditional cigarettes to e-cigarettes um, rather than just issuing an outright ban um, on on tobacco and nicotine products as some seem to want to do. But honestly, to my mind, the, the bigger picture is that it's just none of the FDA's damn business if I want to smoke a cigarette. And I say that as a non-smoker. Yeah, I uh, uh, completely agree. So you, I, I do see a lot of similarities here in the way that just this threat of antitrust, uh, the threat from the from the FTC uh, FDA in the case of Juul, uh, they're just they are able to use these tools to control the companies, even if they don't have to win their battles or uh, even if they don't have to pass the laws, they can still control them. They can still get them to do what they want because um, I guess just out of out of fear. Is there any way to get away from this without? Uh, uh, I mean, what would you do to these agencies? How do you get out of the situation that we're in right now? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, and to a certain extent, it's an unknowable until until someone actually does it. But a couple things I would point to um, is, number one, just building the political, political conversation. There's a reason why I write the pieces that I write. Um, I think that more and more people are realizing what a huge problem it is for agencies to use their their process powers um, or or just use their use their uh, uh, use their institutional credibility in the case of the fbi to send an email and know and and have twitter know that there's a threat on the on the back end of that email um i, I think people are realize this is a real problem and i, I think the more that uh i mean both people in media but also just everyday folks can make it clear to the politicians that this is actually um an important issue um that needs to be dealt with the the better the better off we're going to be in the long run um and then what there also needs to be some political concerted political effort to to gut the to gut the agencies of the um to, to gut the agencies of the folks who are pushing these kinds of actions before we go i want to ask about that point do you think uh, conservatives republicans are they more likely to gut these agencies or are they going to be happy being the people that are in control of those agencies someday? So that's the focus that they'll, that they'll work on. Well, I think that right there is the divide that is splitting the Republican party right now. 
Um, and obviously there's shades, shades of gray here and I'm sort of painting it as a binary. So, so take this, take this with a grain of salt as a simple explanation for what, for what's going on. Um, but there's, there's an old, there's an old style of conservatism that says more or less we have neutral rules, um, that don't target one group or another that apply to all of us equally. Um, and everyone plays by the, by the, by the, by the, the game rules and we move from there. And there's a newer type of conservatism that says that we are going to, um, we're going to, going to punish our enemies. Um, if you look at Governor Ron DeSantis, I mean, in his, in his victory speech, he says, this is where, where woke goes to die. And then, and then you look at the ways that he has pushed, um, at best speech chilling and in many cases, blatantly unconstitutional legislation, which has gotten held up in courts, by the way. And that doesn't get quite as much as quite as much press as the initial announcements that he pushes out. Um, but, but you have this new generation of, of Republicans, um, who are really eager to use the power of the state to achieve their own, um, political and social ends. And I do think that's a really big problem. And like I said, these are the fights that we're having right now. Um, I'm not a registered Republican, but I want a healthy Republican party. I want a healthy democratic party. I want a healthy political system. I frankly, right now I really want a much healthier libertarian party as well. Um, and these are the fights that have to be had. Um, are we going to be a, a small L liberal, um, inclusive process-based nation, or at least in, in our, um, in our political, in our political systems, or are we going to turn into, um, a bunch of warring factions who are simply trying to club each other with whatever political and regulatory tools are close to hand, uh, whenever we've assembled a 51 seat majority. I love it. That's a great place to end. Uh, we've said a bunch of times the government is a gun and we're all fighting over it right now. And, uh, eventually we're just going to have to, I don't know, take the, take the ammo out of the gun. That's about the only only thing I know to do. So we'll stop fighting over it. Um, David, thank you so much for your time today. Where can people go to uh, keep up with what you're doing? You can find me on Twitter um, at David B. McGarry. And then you can also find my written work all over the internet. I have pieces of a National Review, American Spectator, Tech Dirt, Center Square, and a whole bunch of other places. So go look me up.